welcome to another episode of To Be Perfectly Honest, Game of Thrones. This is Season 7, Episode 4, The Spoils of War. I'm Corey. I'm Anel. And let's start the episode. So, Anel. So, so fucking cool. Oh my god, this is what I've been waiting for, for seven seasons. Mm -hmm. I got excited when she had those little rat dragons. And now, oh my god. I just so much, so much came to fruition in this episode that I, I just, I'm so excited. The hairs were standing up on my arms. I, I'm like, I felt like a. Yeah, Game of Thrones really did what they promised when they said that every episode was going to be kind of like these finales that we've having had for these last seasons. Um, you know, the first episode, everyone's kind of like, eh. Last episode, amazing. This one just stepped it up crazy notches. We had everyone was in these places that were like, oh my god, oh my god, all the starts together. Each episode this season has gotten progressively better, and I think this is like probably my favorite episode of the whole series. And I could just be high off of Dragon's Fire. But I'm going to go with that. I'm rolling with that one right now. Yeah, I I definitely thought this one was super action-packed. There wasn't a dull moment at all. Um, we did skip around quite a bit too, which was kind of nice. We didn't stay on one place too long. Um, and then we had the great kind of uh, Battle of the Bastards-esque, you know, um, attack on the line. Yeah, this... is What are they calling it? They're calling it something stupid. The like, train or something. Which is stupid because it's not a fucking train. Well, it's uh, kind of Choo-choo. There's like five compartments. Oh, a wagon train or something, yeah. right? Is what it's like it. fi- they're tw- five. There's 25, I think. Yeah, I'm pretty sure. I don't remember where I heard it, but it's 25. But yeah, this episode we had reunion between Sansa, Arya, Bran. We have Cat's Paw given to Bran, who then gives it to Arya. We had Jon Snow and the uh, hieroglyphs and Greyjoy. Yep. Yep. Uh, Oh, yeah. Jon meets, uh, I keep wanting to call him Reek. Well, he's Reek right now. Mm -hmm. Um, But they have their reunion for the first time since what? Season one, probably. Danny goes full on Targaryen at the end. And then we have uh, just thing like everything that you watch in this episode, you're like, holy shit. And then the next thing gets progressively crazy and you're like, oh, my God. And then by the end of the episode, you're like, wait, what happened before Dragons and Fire? And Well, and we can't, we got our traditional cliffhanger. I mean, well, is Jamie dead? Is he not? I don't think there's been a cliffhanger like this in Game of Thrones. I mean, we usually see something crazy happen, and then we get a little bit more after that. And then the cliffhanger part is like, how do they proceed from what just happened? Mm-hmm. So we're at High Garden where the Tyrells are, and we have the Lannisters who have ransacked the entire kingdom. Um, they put everything that's been owned essentially into these wagons. And they're marching this wagon train all the way to King's Landing. Um, and not only are we taking all of the gold, but Jamie actually talks to Brian and says, why don't you go with Dickon and you can go ahead and proceed to get all the villagers to give up their grain stores. So not only are they getting all this money so they can pay off the Bravosian bank, but they're also getting grain for their army. So this is really important. So I think another important thing that we uh, get from this scene is that Bronn doesn't feel like he's had his end of the bargain fulfilled by Jamie, who uh, says, oh, I gave you this satchel full of gold and that's not enough for you. And Bronn still says, uh, yeah, you promised me a castle. And Jamie says he'll keep the promise, uh, but after the war is over, 
over. So it's kind of kind of the same thing that uh, Cersei said to Euron. Yeah, I'll marry you. I'll keep that promise. But after the war is won. Type yeah, of deal. I think, you know, the main thing though is they don't have anything to promise at the moment. Like he gave him a huge sack of gold. But I mean, we got to remember too, and we find this later on, literally all of that gold is going to the bank. Yeah. So it's not even in their stores anymore. It's just to pay off past debts. So, I mean, they really don't have that much. And we have to remember, too, what is Jamie right now? The king's brother. The same thing he's been this entire time. He's in no better position to promise anything to Bronn. So, yeah, he kind of has to be like, yeah, yeah, just wait around. Mm-hmm. So we um, then cut and we are at... Um, we are at King's Landing, and we have Circe with the... Iron Bank. What's the guy's name, though? Do you have it? Uh, I don't have it on hand, but... Fuck. He has some crazy-ass name. Yeah. Um, so we have kind of the representative from the Bravosian Bank. The Bravosian Bank. And he basically is saying what he likes. He says that um, that she'll have the Iron Bank support as soon as the gold arrives. So he basically says that... Uh, you can count on the Iron Bank, but we want our gold first. Yeah, I think another important part, too, that they're kind of bringing up is he says, you know, no one's ever paid off this large amount of sum in one payment. Um, and we have to remember, this is kind of the crazy thing. How long has there been, you know, all of these different houses? They literally just wiped out an entire house. Like, that's what it took to make this one payment. Is she literally took an entire house, an entire kingdom, collapsed it, took everything out. So it's insane. Um, the other thing that's really important is, you know, the bank makes its money on interest. And so because this large payment has been made, all this interest they're collecting is gone. So they're very eager for the crown to kind make of be another in their debt again. Um, and so that's going to probably work out in both their favor. Um but we'll see that here in a little bit. I think Cersei kind of implies, though, that she's going to be taking out another loan to uh, acquire the uh, assistance of the Golden Company in Essos. And the Golden Company is this famous uh, company of sellswords. Um, and they're supposed to have this reputation of never... Um, they're supposed to have this reputation of never uh going back on they never um abandoned a contract thank you yeah so they have this reputation for never abandoning a contract they always fulfill them and um there's evidently quite a few of them enough to replace an army perhaps oh for sure um i think one of the main things here is you know this is going to be well i'm going to say that for later i was going to say they might not have ever relinquished a contract, but have they ever fought dragons? <laughs> like, I don't know. Um, so, yeah, very interesting. And then, yeah, we have at the end, we have um, the the representative from the bank basically just going, but we just just make sure that gold's here. Um, so this is kind of dangled in front of us. Um, we'll discuss this a little bit later, but this was definitely insinuated from the last episode that the gold could possibly be up for grabs. Um but it looks like it's going to make it. So this next episode is going to be pretty interesting. Um, so then we come to Winterfell and we have Bran and we have Littlefinger. And they're in the midst of a discussion. And it looks like Bran has his own wheelchair finally. And I bet Misha, is that her name? Mira. Mira. God, I fucking hate her name. I bet Mira is pissed. She's like, seriously? 
you got a fucking wheelchair when you're going to be sitting around a fucking castle. We couldn't have got that the entire trek through the north. Um, but we have basically um, Peter Baelish is talking with Bran and going, you know, I really, you know, I loved your mother dearly. Um, I tried to do everything I could. You know, this is the knife um, I'm going to present you as cat paw. And this is the one that someone tried to kill you with and your mother stopped it. And I can only, you know, I only wish that I could have stopped the one that slit her throat. Yeah, like, okay, Peter Baelish, we really believe you there. Um, And then kind of goes off. And there's a little bit of dialogue in here that's very interesting. says, that very question is what started the War of the Five Kings in reference to where this came from. What's interesting is that the previously on shows us that Littlefinger actually started the War of the Five Kings by telling uh, Catelyn that he got the cat's paw dagger from Tyrion Lannister. And so then when Bran asks him, do you know where this came from? He tells Bran no. So it totally blows his mind where seconds later, Bran uses the same phrase that he told Varys in season three. He says, chaos is a ladder. Yeah, so essentially this is proving that, A, Bran can see everything, B, that Peter Baelish should be fucking terrified, because let's also, I mean, even if we just take the, oh yeah, he he incited this because he gave Catelyn this knife, um, let's just forget that he also conspired with, he also conspired with Eliza to poison John Aaron and to basically overthrow the king. So, um... You know, if he is able, if Bran is able to see this far, he also probably knows everything that he's done. And this has to terrify him. Now, you know, we were talking about Bran being kind of a goofball. And it makes sense because he, you know, he has all of these memories and he can't really process them. So after this scene, we have Mira basically barges in and um, Littlefinger kind of goes on his way, kind of being like, oh, hmm. And uh, Mira goes, you know, I'm leaving, like... I got to go be with my family when this happens. And she kind of goes, you know, why can't you be a little bit more like thankful? And Bran's like, Oh, well I basically died in that cave. So, um, very, it kind of makes sense, but at the same time, it's, it's sad because, you know, we never really had a official mourning for Bran as he was. Um, it's awesome that he has all these powers, but you know, what happened to the little kid that, you know, loved to climb. Yeah, Hodor got all, he stole the uh, spotlight on that episode. Seriously. It wasn't just uh, Hodor we lost. It was Everybody, Bran. pretty much, yeah. Mm-hmm. So, um, very interesting, but to say the least. another thing that I found interesting about that scene is that she said, you know, now that he's safe, as safe as he's going to be, that she needed to go be with her family. And, um, you know, her, her, her father is, is Howland mm-hmm. uh, Reed. And we know Howland Reed was the only one with Ned Stark to see um, John's mother. So if that gets put into play, maybe it won't have to be Bran that tells John about his heritage. Maybe it'll be uh, Mira or Mira's, Mira's father. father. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Just another little carrot to dangle in front of everybody. Um, so, yeah, I, I can only. This is kind of another episode, too, where I don't know. Did you did you have a theme for this episode? Besides just badass awesomeness. No, it was too crazy. I it was, was so excited. Forth, I yeah. couldn't, my, couldn't gather my thoughts. I turned into the three-eyed raven. I 
we saw it may i mean this isn't really a theme but to me like everything we saw on the battlefield was really through jamie's point of view so i i really got that kind of being on the other side but the other thing that i noticed is all of brand's interactions with people he's i feel like he's warming up you know He's just kind of like, we saw in the last episode, he was like, oh, I saw you, you know, you're beautiful, blah, blah, blah. But in this one, he threatens Peter Baelish. He essentially is like, knows everything. So I, that was not what I wanted to say. What's the another thing he does in here that's like all fucking, oh yeah, sees Arya. When he sees Arya here later too, he's really like, you know, I know about your list. I know about this. So he's really kind of like making it fucking known. It's not like, oh, hey, I just happened to fly in on your wedding. It's like, oh, no, I know everything. I just need to fucking process it. I bet Mira wished he would have known about that wheelchair before she hauled his ass halfway across the Seriously. north. Oh, hey, you know those wheels that we put on the wagons? <laughs> put on a chair. <laughs> it's called a wheelchair. <laughs> that yeah. would have been the first thing if I was Brand. Yeah, so I would be like, um... Let's make sure I make it home. Hmm. Here's yeah. a wheelchair. Or I'd be like, can we make a dog sled? <laughs> Maybe that's just because I'm from Alaska. Well, didn't he have, like, a sled that Hodor was pulling him on? Yeah, but a Hodor sled is <laughs> not very fun. Hey, guys, it's Anel. Sorry to interrupt the podcast, but we had some important things to share with you. Okay, so this week we're doing a giveaway. The awesome prize that we have is two figurines from Game of Thrones. We have a Jon Snow and a Night King, um, and they're the Funko Pop dolls that are really popular right now. Now, um, in order to get entered into the giveaway, what you need to do is you need to go onto iTunes, you need to select our podcast, and then you need to leave a review. Take a screenshot of your review and then send it in to us at our Gmail at tobeperfectlyhonestpodcast at gmail.com. And at the end of the week, we're going to pick one winner. We're going to contact you in order to get your shipping details, and we will send those out to you. So we cut scene, and for the first time in I don't know how many seasons, we see Arya, and she's standing on a hillside overlooking Winterfell. And if that doesn't just touch your heart, Mm -hmm. you do not have a heart. You know, the interesting parallel I kind of saw here. Um, do you remember in the early seasons when Arya's out chasing cats and she basically gets outside the castle and looks dirty and she comes trying to get into um, the Red Keep and the guards are like, you're not, you can't get in here. You're a little, you know, you're a boy or whatever they say. We have the same thing here. And remember, we kept on seeing that we were drawing a parallel with Sansa and Cersei. So it's kind of interesting. It also reminds me that you know, as much as Arya is home, this really isn't her home. Everyone who, and we hear it later on this episode, you know, everyone who was here that knew her father is dead besides her siblings. So besides, you know, Bran and Sansa, everyone in this keep is basically a stranger to her. Um, so it's kind of interesting. Yeah, you see her as she's sitting while the guards kind of discuss how to proceed. You see her noticing the... Uh, Winterfell crest the Starks and you know she's kind of taking it all in but I think we're led to believe as she looks around that although she's back things have really changed and then um, as the guards go tell Sansa like sorry we let this little street rat in and um, she just escaped and as soon as they make mention of uh, Master Lewin uh, Sansa knows that it really is Arya 
And she says she knows exactly where she is. And she heads down to the crypts. And there she is standing in front of her dad. And, um, you know, I think that's an important scene because first thing that Arya says is, do I have to call you lady now? And um, Sansa says, you know, you shouldn't have, you know, run from the guards. And she's like, you need better guards because I didn't run. And so they've turned into the people that they've always wanted to become, even though the, the as they state later, the uh, quest that they had to go through to become those people is not um, a pretty one. But Sansa's a lady and Arya's a fighter now. Oh, it's extremely like, um, what is that fable? You know, it's like, be, be careful what you wish for, essentially, like... You know, Arya, first thing she says to her dad is, I don't want to wear dresses. I want to learn to fight with the sword. You got your wish, but guess what? Your father had to die. A bunch of your family had to die. You had to go and basically sail across the ocean. All this crazy stuff. Sansa, oh, you want to be a princess and marry a king? Okay, well, you got to do that. But you also saw that king die. He was a piece of shit to you. Um, you were raped repeatedly. So yeah, and it's like, your brother watched, and yeah. your fake brother watched too. So yeah, exactly right. Fun so, times. Um, yeah, definitely. Be careful what you wish for. Sansa all also got to learn about Arya's list, and that kind of made me laugh because you saw them both kind of laugh about it, and Arya is like, you can see her mind processing, like, and I'm not kidding, but yeah, she <laughs> I'll did the same thing that, that she did with the Lannisters. Mm-hmm. Or the Lannister battle party when she, you know, was kind of going and sharing that chicken. And they're like, what are you doing? Yeah, Ed Sheeran. And she's like, oh, I'm going to go kill the queen. And they're like, (laughs) and she's like, not kidding. Like, same face. Yeah, she probably had good practice trying to convince the House of Black and White that she was no one. Yeah, uh, I'm no one. Beat. Shame. Shame. So, um, so then we cut scene to Arya and Bran's reunion. Now, was it just me or did you feel like Bran was a lot warmer to Arya than Sansa? Um, for sure. I think we have to remember though, like everybody hated Sansa (laughs) and Sansa kind of hated everybody. (laughs) Um, you know, she's gone through a lot and we definitely see like her and Arya are so much warmer to each other. They can, they've definitely grown out of the, um, Mm, I hate my big sister. Oh, man, nah, nah. You know, um, but yeah, they weren't very close. So I think it's good to have family. But, you know, the the Bran and um, Arya is definitely a, a stronger connection when they were younger. They were close to the same age, same interests. I mean, Arya basically was the female version of Bran. Right? I yeah, mean, she was The better. only thing she didn't do was climb fucking towers. Well, remember the scene where... Um... They're trying to teach uh, Brand to shoot. Yeah. yeah. And she's like from 100 yards back. Pew. Yep. Yeah. Totally. But um, Sansa really should have done a better job at like warning Arya. Hey, um, Brand's a little different. You know, I think the thing that's funny is we have Arya who's really good at putting on faces. Um, and so she's kind of acting like you would. Um, but the thing is, is. I mean, who has really changed more, Bran or Arya? Bran's, you know, not as good at hiding it, but Arya's used to killing people left and right. I mean, how many people has she killed at this point? So, very interesting. I think they both change a lot, and I think they both see that in each other. The, the person who doesn't understand it is Sansa. 
Let's be clear here. Brown's a fucking weirdo now. He's I mean, a three-eyed raven. AKA a fucking weirdo. Like, well, did you see him? Did you see day. him like I Sansa? Like <laughs> And I also know that you were raped. Oh, I'm sorry, that was Sansa. Yeah. But the cool thing is he uh the the main thing as we <laughs> as we talk about this scene is he gives cat's paw dagger to Arya. He says this is a waste on a cripple. And then um Sansa also makes mention that Littlefinger doesn't give uh doesn't give gifts that he doesn't expect some return on. So I think we as viewers all know that, but it's important that she relay that to Arya and also to Bran. Well, and I don't think that Bran just is going to give this gift willy-nilly either. You know, I think he's seen where this has come from. We already saw that he knows about Peter Baelish. And, I mean, I talked about this last episode. I hope Arya comes and gives a little stabby-stab-stab to Peter Baelish. So maybe this, uh, yep. maybe this nap will cut his throat. And then um, not too long after this, we cut scene to a real short scene of Podrick and Brienne. And um, Podrick makes mention to Brienne that uh she has fulfilled her duties that um yeah she's essentially she protected vow. both of the star girls so they're both safe in winterfeld um and she kind of points out i really didn't do anything but um she tried at least and that's kind of what counts she's still there for them now um and then pod calls her my lady too and instead of like cutting him off and being like i'm not a lady she just says thank you this time Mm -hmm. so we're seeing the progression of her character as well and how cool is it that we have all of these characters that we've seen at different locations like all together in winterfell we have pod pod the rod we have brienne the beautiful we have sansa the biatch i'm sorry just sansa lady sansa and (laughs) we have bran mira we have Arya. Who else do we have? Are there any dogs left? Nymeria didn't come with her. Nope. But. Um, so yeah, definitely definitely very interesting. Um, Peter Baelish is creepy. Oh yeah. Let's uh, make sure we talk about this. Because uh, the whole time, every scene... <laughs> dude, every fucking yeah. scene in Winterfell ends with like a weird gaze by Peter Baelish. He's yeah. like the gross... like. He's like the gross guy that's like a pedophile standing in front of a kindergarten yard. Like, mm. yeah. Um, so I'm pretty sure like if it wasn't so cold out, he'd be jerking it up there. <laughs> <laughs> like that's the face he has every time. Like, mm, yeah. Walk over to your sister. Mm. He kind of reminds me of the six fingered man from Princess Bride. Oh, this is the second Princess Bride reference that you've had. Mm hmm. I love that movie. Mm, did you know they're making a new one? Shut your dirty mouth. I think they are. Maybe I'm lying. Okay. Anyways. Uh-huh. So uh, we cut scene and we are back at Dragonstone and we are with Danny and Masande. And Masande is serving that tea. Mm, girl. We did many things. Talking about that. Mm. Grey Worm. Did she say many things or all the things? I can't remember. Oh, she said many things. Yeah. And then we have Danny who's like, oh, Jon Snow's here. Maybe I'll do many things as well. Yeah, it's kind of a huh. weird, like, I didn't catch it till the second watch, but it was like, they're they're having their girl talk, and then Danny's like, mm, mini things, and then follow her eyes, womp, 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 right to Jon Snow. Hmm. I'm sure he has a little more to offer than uh, Grey Worm. But then, 
But then, you know, so then John's like, well, I have something to show you. And he leads her off into this cave. And we all know John does his best work in a cave. So essentially we are in a cave now. Remember, too, when I said, oh, I bet there's some treasure that will be, you know, hidden under Dragonstone. Now, we all knew that this dragon glass was here, but there's all these paintings. This might be a little bit of a treasure. I'm calling it. Yeah. So you see all these like hieroglyphs and I'm like, "Mm, this is a little too easy. What do you want to make a bet that John's like, hey, Davos, okay, we need to get her convinced that there are these things called White Walkers. I need you to get some chalk, go down there. You're from Dragonstone. Just post up a bunch of hieroglyphs. Um, Unfortunately, I think that his hand don't work too good. And he probably, if he can't read, he probably is a good drawer. Just saying. Well, he's got two, he's got better handwriting than most people. I mean, you can hold a piece of chalk in between two stumpy fingers and make a hieroglyph. It's not like he's doing calligraphy. Look at that. Yeah, they also look like they're carved. It doesn't look like chalk, but that's just me. Whatever. Um, Yeah, but very interesting. Um, You know, this is, this symbol has plagued me throughout this entire show. Um, and we see it here repeatedly. It's actually in multiple places. Um, you have the spiral. The, the spiraling out. Um, <clears throat> and we also see a couple other symbols. Now, um, you know, Danny basically, I think this is where it's coming into play that this is real. Like, before she was very skeptical of this. And I think this connection with her ancestors this ancestral home of hers it really resonates with her and i think you know the other thing that really helps this is the actual depiction of the white walkers they're fucking creepy as shit and that's exactly what they look like so hats off to davos for coming through with that yeah sharp penmanship yeah that blue blue crayola like Corey said last time you come here for the facts folks um so yeah very interesting um I'm wondering if, you know, there's all of this. This is the thing. It seems like there's this information laying around everywhere and people have just forgot it. So, you know, one person we really didn't see in this episode at all, Sam. So I wonder how those books are going in that Citadel. We haven't seen the Hound either. This is true. But, yeah, whatever. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry, that was just. What is he, busy looking a little fire? Oh, the fire. Well, um, did you catch any more of the flames between John and Danny? Not the literal flames, but like the spark of little, like attraction. Like, wanna fuck? <clears throat> did you feel grossed out? Because I kind of felt grossed out, and plus, I feel like Jon Snow's my man. So, bitch, you better no. I was back into up, it. Danny. I was into it. No, she has the fuck me eyes. Yeah, he's just in the cave, but she's like definitely. Like, Mm. And he totally, like, grabs her arm, like, come here. I'm like, ooh, you better watch out. You don't want any dragons. I mean, like, oh, hands off my mom. Is it weird that the entire time that she's like, you better bend the knee, I'm like, propose? Yeah, but we all know what happens at weddings in Westeros. Yeah, that's why you elope. Um, (laughs) Go to Essos and get married. (laughs) Oh, my God. You should totally go to Essos. It's great. (laughs) We didn't really want to have a big wedding, so we went and to Essos. Melisandre can marry us. We went to Carth. <laughs> Don't go. <laughs> um, yeah, we kept on hearing this big black guy is stuck in this thing. We couldn't open it. <laughs> so creepy, but romantic. So yeah, she does ask John to bend the knee, but um, 
we don't ever see him do that. So uh, I am going to assume that if he does decide to do, do bend the knee, it's going to be like you said, like mm-hmm. marriage proposal. You know, another to thing his that... aunt. Let's all just remember that this is his father's sister. I mean, I'm fine with it. Well, I mean, if we're asked to accept dragons and white walkers and twins that exactly have babies, the same, I'm fine with it. <laughs> like. He has black hair. She has a white hair. Um, God damn it. Oh, okay. So one thing that's interesting here too is, you know, last episode, we basically had Jon Snow as a prisoner everywhere. And now when they come out of the cave, you actually see them walking together. Now, not only does this symbolize, you know, that maybe there's something going on. She's kind of into him. But I think it also symbolizes that they have kind of a understanding of fealty. Yeah, they're totally willing to work together. Now, not everything's been ironed out. We have other shit going on, but, um, you know, I think that's where it's coming. So we have Varys and Tyrion and they are basically saying, oh, hey, we have Casterly Rock. And she's like, great. And he's like, yeah, yeah, not. We already saw that from last episode. Um, She's fucking tired of hearing Tyrion's news. She's like, I'm tired of your what she call him? Like grandiose ideas or Mm -hmm. your complex plan. Your complex your, plans. Yeah. Your clever plans. I have dragons. Boom. Yeah, you know, this Dragon is another Trump's thing. plans. This is another thing that we talked about last episode. We knew this as soon as this happened. You can't keep listening to a little fool. Um, that's just what's going to happen. Yeah, I think it's just giving um, Daenerys just a little more uh, retrospect on why have I been listening to these people? I have my own shit. I'm the queen. I'm going to start depending on only myself. And then I'm going to ask Jon Snow, who I've known uh, 48 hours, what yeah. his opinion is. Well, that, I felt like that was kind of cheap. I did feel like this whole scene of like this trust building is rushed. I know there's only this season, which what we have like three more episodes and then um, next season. But I don't know. I hope that um, the rest of it doesn't feel as rushed because I feel like, dude, he just landed here. He was a prisoner. All of a sudden, she's like, here, have all the dragon glass. Oh, and by the way, I forgot to mention that I thought it was important that John says, this is all the dragon glass we'll ever need. But then you're like, Le- he's taken her to a cave. The last cave he took any chick to was when um, Ygritte and him did the did the deed in the cave. You should have never left that what cave, John Snow. What are you John trying to get out? <laughs> I'm just saying, it was too fast. Like, who meets someone like that? Who? You're the fucking queen of dragons. You're the king of the north. And all of a sudden you're holding hands in the cave. And then you come out after she well, says bend hey. the knee. And she's like, hey, you want to give me advice on how to win the war of the whole Westeros? Like, no, shut I up. Th- I don't think that at all. You know, A, they were not holding hands. If they were, I they, would have shrieked like a little you girl. You need to re- Let's do a recap after Fuck this. me eyes are not holding hands. A. Dude. He grabbed her wrist, and then as they're walking out, they they filmed it to where it looked like they were holding hands walking out of that fucking. But they cave. weren't holding hands, so they weren't holding like hands. One more thing. You know, I think the thing is, is you are taking for Jealous? granted. Yes. Yeah, I can tell <laughs> that for that's for sure. Um, no, if we reflect back on Jamie's when she my was man. in Jamie and Braun, both. So if we reflect back on when Danny was over in Essos. She had the same thing. You know, when she is at the top of her game, she is a cold-ass bitch. But as soon as she gets knocked down a peg, she's like, what the fuck am I doing? I need help. I need advisors. I need to take advice. 
she did this time and time again. And, you know, I think one thing that's kind of helping her is she has no romantic interest right now. She's all by herself. She's alone on this island, and all she's getting is this bad news. And I don't think she's just like, oh, all of a sudden Jon Snow, but she looks at Jon Snow as someone who's a lot like her, who has gained the respect of the people by his deeds and by being true. And that's what she's done so far. And so I think that resonates with her. She realizes that. And because of the position that she's in, she's needing that. And at that moment, essentially, no one else has any ideas besides Tyrion. And Tyrion's our shit right now. And I don't even think Tyrion has an idea for what to do after that. So reaching out to Jon Snow is probably the next best thing. And, you know, honestly, we find out later. I mean, it's not like she didn't listen to him, but it's not like she did exactly what he said. So, interesting. Um, essentially, he, she wants to go and burn the Red Keep um, to the ground. And Jon Snow says, you know, you cannot do that because, and we've already talked about this with other people too, but you cannot do that because the people will fear you and you're just going to be another dictator. And so, if you were thinking she was going to go exactly with Jon Snow had said, you th- you'd think she'd just go, oh, we'll do something with the armies. But no, she takes those fucking dragons and she burns that fucking army down. Because they're not the people. They're the people that have taken up arms against her. Just the tip. Jon Snow. <laughs> oh, Jon. Um, God, he's so fucking cute. Yeah, you're right. You sure you don't have a Game of Throner? Oh, I always have a Game of Throner. <laughs> <laughs> as soon as the previews start. And then I see Peter Baelish and it goes inside of me. <laughs> okay so then we cut back to winterfell and we have um we have uh brienne is fighting with podrick and she's kicking his ass like you would expect and then we have Arya come up um across them and she basically says hey i want to go ahead and train and brand's like oh oh no my lady you know like i'll get the master of arms if you want to do that and she's like no you killed the hound are you kicked ass with the hound yeah you beat the hound i want to fight with you i want i want to see what's going on here um and so brianne kind of reluctantly is like okay and this is probably i mean finally danny on a dragon is like definitely my favorite but this is like finally getting to see mm -hmm. aria kick ass is definitely and even even brianne's like oh this is the sword's too little and aria's like no it's not yeah, she. The, this is definitely kind of the moment where um, Cyril Pharrell, um, you know, the one who taught her the water dancing. All that training pays off. She, although she did not, she by no means was she ready for this. It's like she's taking kind of those basic principles and learned to fight on her own. And she fights very similar to him. She, you know, she the basic lessons where he was like, you know, you're not a big person. You're not going to be able to overpower someone. You have to be quick and fast like a cat. Like... She's taking that to heart, and that's what she's done. Mm-hmm. And we notice that as the fight uh, continues, we see creepy old Peter Baelish being his pedophile mm, self. Yes. Mm. Mm. Gross. I'd like to put both of you in my prostitute house. And poor Sansa. What do you think she's thinking? She's like, is am I the only one that's not a complete weirdo? We got my little sister... A trained assassin and we have my brother who is in a wheelchair God. that <laughs> yeah can see all 
We have Peter Baelish, who she already knows is a weirdo. She's probably thinking, what the fuck? Yeah, Peter Baelish. This is actually um, during this fighting scene. We kind of flash up and we see Sansa and we see Peter. And they actually both look very uncomfortable. Um, I think Sansa is just kind of like afraid for her sister a little bit and also kind of like what is going on but then i think peter's kind of like oh shit i have another fucking stark to watch out for so um battle ensues you know basically brand disarms aria she kicks her down and um aria kind of flashes back up they have kind of a moment and then right when it looks like brand's gonna get her she whips out cat's paw and gets her right by the throat and I think it's important to notice that that's the opportunity for Peter Baelish to know that Bran doesn't have Cat's Paw anymore. Arya has yep. Cat's Paw. So you can see his wheels turning at the end of the scene where he's probably calculating what his next move will be. Yeah. He for sure knows that that throat is going to get slashed. And it's important to notice, too, that Arya notices him noticing her. And so she's already calculating her Did he her notice next her move. noticing him? He sure did. Yeah, just making sure. If you if you know all possibilities, then you can be ready for any of them. He wasn't ready for that. Okay, so then we're back at Dragonstone, and we have... More character building, I think, of uh, the Danny and Danny shipping with Jon Snow. Um Part because we have Davos and John walking down the beautiful steps of Dragonstone, and they come across Masande, who just basically says, "I love my queen. She'd give me a ship to sail back to Narth if if I wanted. I serve her because she's so awesome and amazing." And Davos is just like, "Yeah, I think I'm gonna switch sides." And John's like, "Shut up," and yeah. Yeah, I think this is just kind of reiterating in our minds, um, you know, that everyone in this camp is basically doing the same thing. They both believe in these people. It's not because of anything that they, you know, their title or anything like that. Jon Snow had no title. And we have um, Daenerys, who was in completely foreign land where her title meant nothing. So um, I definitely think this is just kind of saying, hey, these two are pretty much the same like they have the same kind of ideals the armies kind of respect them both the same they need to work together and they both know this both both of them have people that love them but i think there's very uh different characteristics to both of them john's a reluctant leader danny's like give me my shit it's mine so um i mean there, there could be a good balance there you know that fire and ice thing um is definitely fire and ice balance each other so maybe that's another callback to the title. But what do you think, Corey? I think when fire and ice meet, ice this melts and then and fire stays. The temperature balances. Does it? Um, I think one of the important things here is that we see Greyjoy comes back. So um, he comes upon the beach and we have the first time that Jon Snow has seen reek yeah he may not know about reek but i'm sure it won't be too long till good old reek shows his colors again Mm -hmm. yeah and um so this is kind of where we 
get to you know with everything going on and this is kind of the same thing for winterfell too you know one thing i think is important it's happening both in winterfell and here we're starting to accumulate so many characters that you know individually there were alliances made like sansa you know all the shit that happened with um you know Greyjoy and her fucked up shit but then he kind of rided that with her but then we have the other characters where he hasn't done that and we see that with Jon snow I think we're seeing that with Peter Baelish, you know, and Arya. Arya knows that Peter Baelish is a piece of shit, but she hasn't but she hasn't been there for anything that he's done that's been positive, which I mean, I must say has not been a whole lot besides, you know, coming in and saving them in the Battle of the Bastards, but you know, the further and further we go, the more and more characters that we put into a room, someone is going to have problems with someone, and that is going to cause internal conflict. So um, I think that kind of adds a little bit to this game instead of just, oh, you're my ally, you're my ally, you're my ally. Pretty soon we're going to have issues. Well, I think this is the first time that John sees Theon since um, he went to the wall. And so he's heard about what's happened. You know, he knows. I mean, I assume that he knows that he didn't really kill Brandon Rickon because he literally saw Rickon die on the field during battle of the bastards. So, um, but he also knows that he tried to take over Winterfell and was unsuccessful. And, um, I'm sure Sansa has told him the rest of the story, which is why he says that if it weren't for what you did for Sansa, I'd be killing you. Yeah, for sure. And then Theon has the nerve to be like, well, the reason I'm here is to ask for the queen's help to save my sister. So I don't know if he's trying to get his redeeming arc back on, but I mean, he has a lot of stuff to redeem. So Yeah, and which he can never really do. And I think that, you know, given the opportunity, maybe after everything is settled, he might just be. What would it take for Reek to be redeemed in your eyes? It's irredeemable. There's nothing he could do. Think about Melisandre. What can Melisandre do after burning um, the, the Princess Ciri? Nothing. You could not be redeemed from that. He burned two little boys. Like, he went after that. He was like, oh, that house is weak. I'm going to go back and do it. Like, no. But Jamie, Jamie did a lot, too. And I feel like his arc <laughs> is... I don't. You I mean, don't? I, I think, you know... Jamie is beyond repair with the Starks. There's nothing he can do. I think we see a lot of uh, Jamie's character come out when he um, talks about, you know, warning people before they're flogged for being at the end of this. He pushed ride. Bran out of a window and paralyzed Yeah, him. but I mean, that was just a heat in the moment choice. Yeah, okay. When you uh, pull Crime his dick passion. out of your mouth, uh, we'll decide if this is real or not. You <laughs> <laughs> Really, you don't? No, I think he he's He saved Bran from a bear. He gave her Oath Oathkeeper. Yeah, I'm not saying that he's completely bad, but I'm saying he cannot be redeemed in the eyes of the Starks. Just what like about Greyjoy your eyes? cannot be, huh? I'm talking in your eyes personally. Oh, I love him in my eyes. Not, <laughs> Are you talking I, about I fucking, Reek or? I push Ron out the window every day. <laughs> I'm just saying, you know, there, I mean, overall, I don't think he is a horrible, evil person. I think he has horrible judgment sometimes, and especially when it comes to his sister. 
But as far as the Starks are concerned, that that's never going to be forgiven, especially if Bran knows all sees all and lets that slip. Well, what about what about the getting back to this scene? Theon, there's nothing that he can do to redeem himself in I mean, your he's, eyes. He's done pretty much everything that he can at this point, right? I mean, he's suffered for his mistakes. Think of all this things that he's gone through as, you know. Yeah, okay, but let's karma. put it this way. Someone kills your dad, right? And then they go and they had just a horrible experience when they were in jail where they were torture, tortured by a bunch of these jailers. And they get out. Are you going to forget? No, sorry, that had nothing to do with me. I didn't get revenge on you at all. Like, you deserved it. You don't, so, so you don't think he's redeemable? No, I don't think so he's redeemable. why do and you I think, think he's still here? For his sister. So you think that as soon as he saves her, he'll die? I think he's going to sacrifice himself. I think that's what it's leading up to. His whole story has to be about, I mean, look at Cryjoy from the beginning. He always thought he was entitled to more. He got his first glimpse of power. He went and seized it. It was a fucking shit show. And he was punished for it and over and over and over again. And, you know, he should have had the courage to fucking go out with a bang. And he didn't. And he was allowed to live because of that. And he did help Sansa. But it's like, I think this whole, like, what is his character arc going to do is him finally having the courage to give his life for someone else. And you think it's going to be ours? I, I don't know who else it would be. I think that'd be... Fitting. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, we have... um Next scene is Jamie Braun and Randall Tarley talking on the battlefield. Um, When we learn that the gold has arrived safely in King's Landing. Um, Two, we learn that the men here on the field are the men who fought in Highgarden. And they're the tail end of the Lannister troops. Yeah, so an important thing, and you can kind of see if you pay close attention. These are basically everyone who collected all the grain from um, Highgarden. So, um, you know, the the sacking of um, the Tyrells essentially did two things. One, they got all their golds. So they're able to pay... Um, the Iron Bank, that way they can hire another mercenary army. They can bolster their numbers. But on top of that, they need, remember, winter is coming, so they need as much food as they can. I think they said that they maybe had enough for a year. I can't remember if that was even true in that. And this is the most rich and fertile place in all of Westeros. So um, this is kind of a, a major thing. So they have collected all this because it's not just gold bricks you can throw in a thing and race off with. It's actual huge carts of grain. Probably um, had to be harvested. and Or they had at least had to fill it from a granary, which takes time. So they're lagging behind. Um, so this is kind of like that second part. It's not as important as the gold is, but it's definitely important. Um, and we have... Um, Basically, everyone is kind of like, eh, we won. They're kind of taking it easy, and um, they all know better than this. They they need to get the fuck out of here before something happens. And, well, they weren't fast enough. Yeah, and we run across Tikon again, who makes it known that, you know, it, some of these men that he fought against, the Tyrells were people that he had grown up with. And so, um, of he course... This all- so Corey's making a face, like a brooding face. He's no, saying like that, a, what's going on? Um, so, you know, one thing that's really interesting here 
with the layout and we see a lot of connections um if you watch any of the like behind the scenes of the episode um that hbo has on hbo go at all you know they compare this to kind of to a western um where um well fuck we should talk about the other people first i guess before i say that i'm like and Cly- um, let's just talk about something else so Corey, what was your favorite part about this scene because like i was saying at the beginning of this podcast like i felt like this was probably my favorite episode of the entire series and it was just one scene into the other it was like the next scene got so crazy and so good that you forgot about the scenes before Mm -hmm. leading up until this scene which left me with goosebumps we have um jamie and braun and randall tarley talking and then you hear well Bron's the first to hear it, and uh, Jamie notices Bron hears what sounds like, you know, a storm or something rumbling in the background, and we see it's the Dothraki herd, and uh, like we've heard in past seasons, I think it was Robert Baratheon said that, you know, anybody who would come against the Dothraki horde uh, in the middle of a field is just crazy, mm-hmm. and so we're actually going to see it for ourselves and so just hearing those horse you know galloping and um hearing the shrieks of the dothraki i was like already like hairs on you know goosebumps and hair standing up and then we see drogon just swoop over the top and just blast everyone with fire what's your favorite part about this (laughs) of everything that you just described the entire scene Mm -hmm. Uh, all of that yeah um yeah my my favorite part of this for sure is drogon um such awesomeness i mean if you watch the behind the scenes making of it they have spent so much money on this and it pays off like i love dragons i've seen them in so many things tv adaptations and movies they always look horrible and this looks amazing um on top of that we have the pyrotechnics that they did fantastic like literally i almost had anxiety of like okay this is kind of off topic but lately like for like the last year or so um whenever i go and watch a movie in theaters there's this movie preview that always comes out and it's for world war ii and it's called fuck do you know what i'm talking about no i don't watch movies i only watch game of thrones one second i need to figure out what it's called dunkirk so um, every time I go and watch a movie, it doesn't matter what it is, um, and I usually see movies in theaters and IMAX, there's a movie called Dunkirk that's um, coming out or has just come out, and it's based in World War II, and it's, you know, basically these people are stuck, um, the, the allies are stuck in this area, and they're just getting bombed repeatedly, repeatedly, and, like, everyone around them is dying, and, like, in IMAX, it's so fucking loud that, like, my ears, I feel like, are bleeding, and I'm, like, I literally, like, have a panic attack. I'm, like, oh, my God, it's that fucking preview again. Like, it's insane. (laughs) I have the same feeling with this. Like, all the smoke everywhere, it's so chaotic, all the flames, and then, like, we have this dragon, you know, that we see sneak peeks of every little bit, and I'm just, like, oh, my God, this is fucking awesome. Um, You know, I had doubts about Danny getting on a dragon and sailing it basically wherever she wanted to go. And, but essentially it's not like she just jumped on the dragon and like flew a little bit. Like she flew quite a bit. So 
This does not put it out of the realm of possibility that she can jump on that dragon and fly pretty much anywhere she needs to in a reasonable amount of time. Um, and it looks like she is able to, you know, you know, Drogon's definitely in control of the flying, but it does look like she can prompt him at least to, you know, Dakaris whenever she wants to, but also kind of where to so focus rad. attack. Yeah, for sure. So yeah, I think it's just, it, this is a huge possibility of what is to come. Um, you know, another thing I wasn't expecting is what's the weapon that they say it is here? The scorpion. Scorpion. Um, I was not expecting the scorpion to be here. Um, I kind of felt like it was a little bit more prototypey, and I didn't think they were going to be able to put it on a cart and just kind of roll it around with them. Um, yeah, very true. Cause I was expecting it to be there, like maybe like 20 of them in King's landing and yeah. just protecting the keep. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But it's, yeah, it, it also kind of... kind of points out that they were, I mean, we are like, Oh shit. Um, and we kind of saw this coming for sure, but, um, we kind of get the idea that the armies are pretty surprised at this, but yet they had a scorpion with them. So they must've been expecting it at least in some part. Yeah preventative maybe just just in case but it, <laughs> nobody seemed to man it it was finally Braun that was like oh yeah get me this fucking scorpion <laughs> yeah. i'm gonna take down this dragon seriously um you know the other thing i love about this is like kind of everything that's going on we have jamie's perspective of like being kind of on top of the world from last episode you know he outsmarted everyone that way and then he's getting fucking savaged out here um, the Dothraki alone are savaging their army, let alone with this dragon. And then we have kind of the perspective of Daenerys where she's like, you know what? I'm a bad bitch. I'm I'm doing my own thing. I'm going to get this. And then we have Tyrion. And this is kind of like, oh, man, this is pulls at my heartstrings for Tyrion because, you know. There's his queen, but then there's his brother and all the exactly. men that he probably and he knows even, from growing up. You know, even before he sees his brother, he has a look in his eyes of real, like, ooh, this is a bitter pill to swallow. This is my, my, my family's army is here, and I'm seeing them get butchered. And, you know, basically one of, um, one of the leaders of the Dothraki says, you know, oh, your men don't know how to fight. And you can see him just want to be like, oh, but this is not the ideal situation for them and blah, blah, blah. But he doesn't have any allegiance to them anymore. And then we see him with his brother and it's like, ugh, that is tough. You know, his brother is the only person in his family basically was there for him. And he's going to take up arms against her and she's going to have to kill him. Like, ugh, just horrible. What do you do? What do you think the odds are that uh, we'll ever hear another Ed Sheeran song. You think he was blasted with fire? You think he made it out of this? Probably, yeah. He's probably prettier now, though. <laughs> Just kidding. No, one uh, thing that I want to add, too, is uh, if you think back to the scene with Theon slash Reek, um, during the battle on the ships, you know, as he's seeing people's teeth get cut out and people's heads get chopped, and how he reacts versus when Jamie has that moment of him seeing his men on fire and the Dothraki's, you know, literally cutting people from limb to limb mm-hmm. and his reaction. So different. He's like calls into battle and, you know, runs after uh, Daenerys, even though she is right in front of her dragon. And, um, you know, Tyrion's like, 
flee, you fool. And no, Jamie's like a true soldier and goes right for um, Danny, even though the dragon's right there. Yep. And then we have Bronn, who, although he has this character arc of him being like this badass and only being out for himself, and Jamie hasn't paid him in his mind. He's still owed a castle. And do you think he's actually trying to save Jamie because uh, he wants to get his payback? Or do you think he's saving Jamie because uh, they have a more of a friendship? Oh, I, I mean, this is what I'm thinking. You know, at the beginning of this, we still have, you know, Bronn is basically like, oh, hey, I want you to do some dirty ass shit, but I can't dirty my name because I'm affiliated with, you know, House Lannister. Go and do it. Go rough with those people for their grain. Um, but we see that he drops all his gold. And I think this is kind of one main thing. This is what Tyrion and this is what Jon Snow are getting at. You know, you cannot take your dragons in the middle of King's Landing because then the people are not going to want you there because they're going to think you're just like every other Targaryen where you take everything by force and will. You know, I think it's finally the point where Bronn, even though he's a sellsword, he's going to get behind this because, I mean, look at this. If this was your experience, how could you be, oh, yeah, well, she's, She's probably going to be a good queen. <laughs> so you oh, think Bronn she burnt feels- everyone around me alive. I think Bronn's finally fighting for this maybe for personal reasons. And if part of that is his friendship with Jamie that he has, so be it. But I think a lot of it maybe too is like he, at this, from his perspective, maybe Daenerys isn't someone he wants if she's going to bring in, you know. So we saw Cersei in, um, you know, her throne room last episode or the episode before that, and she was kind of going off about, hey, you know, she's going to bring the Dothraki here. She's going to bring fucking dragons. She's going to burn everything down to a fucking crisp. You guys are going to fucking hate it, and then you're going to want my fucking incestuous ass up on the throne again. And, you know, you think, oh, like, yeah, whatever. But then you see it from the point of view of these soldiers, and it's like, holy fucking shit. Like, Dothraki, you think, like, that's what is going to be around in Westeros. You cannot think that's a good thing from what you've had. B, dragons. Like, that was a fucking nightmare for anyone involved. And if those things are allowed to roam everywhere else, like, the way of life as it is is not going to be the same. Did you have something to add? Yeah. I was going to say that that's really interesting that that's your opinion because I think totally different. I think Bronn is smart. He's not still around from being on the losing side of any battles plus he's made it known to jamie that he liked his brother better and Tyrion is on the side of danny so we know that this is not the war that's won but it's a battle and uh i'm gonna say that danny and the dothraki won this battle and i see it as a a point where bron can get with Tyrion and change change uh sides and um also, I was... Wait, you think Bronn is trying to get with Tyrion? Not yet, but I think that this will be an opportunity for him to talk with Tyrion. I think that Danny will probably have something to say, because Danny doesn't want to kill everyone. She wants to give people the opportunity to choose the right side, which in her mind is hers. Which, I mean, if I'm choosing between Danny and Cersei, that's whose side I'm going to choose is Danny's. But... um I think that after seeing people roasted with dragon fire, you know, if if Danny gives you the option 
you personally, Corey. You can run with me or run from me. Oh, I'm I'm not saying that. I wouldn't do that. Bronn shot Dragoon with an arrow. Like, and she was on her back and she probably saw him do it. Like, so you think he has any chance of joining the army? No, at, I at, don't think so. At that point, I think that that's what you have to do because it's survival. And that's one cool thing about this episode is that we I just don't understand how you're thinking this characters. is survival for him if he's going to jump in front of a dragon flame. Like, that has to be out of respect for Jamie. Or for going, hey, this is what's right. You're the leader of it. I'm going to save you. To me, it just doesn't make any sense. If Bronn was going to be interested in switching sides, I think he would have done it at the opportune moment when basically the army is on fire and no one else can be like, hey, you're running away or you're going over there to talk to anyone else. He could have slipped by. Instead, he's putting himself in the middle of danger. He's literally walking over the goal to do that. So he has to have a priority other than money there. Yeah, his life. That's what his number one concern is, is his life. And then after he lives and he has the opportunity to say but then he jumps in front of dragon fire in order to save someone like why would you do that just for your life and then put yourself in harm's way i don't well that's still part of like he's in the battle he's still on lannister's side so you're gonna you don't know if you have the opportunity at that point i'm saying given the opportunity once the shit dies down they come out of the water danny's fire right Breathing dragon isn't having to protect her from an arrow to the chest. I say, I say that Danny's going to give him the option, just like she gave John: bend the knee or be my enemy. And they will or they won't. But I feel like Bran, Bron, <laughs> fuck. Now you got me saying it. I feel like Bron will, if given the option, be like, mm, sorry, Janie, J- Janie, fuck, Janie. Danny and Jamie. Uh, I think if, if given the option, Bron will choose Danny's side. Because he's a winner. I don't. All right. So what else do we have to say? <laughs> Why would she? A, he has personally tried to kill those dragons. He thinks that and not only was that, oh, hey, I need to live. But I do think he's like, fuck these dragons. These motherfucking dragons. If Danny saw that at all, she's never going to forgive that. Those are her children. You will never fucking do that. You do that, she locks you up in a fucking vault for you to starve to death and die. Like, not cool. B, I think when he got pushed into the water, or when he pushed Jamie into the water and went with him, he's going to try to have to save him because we all know Jamie's going to be fucked otherwise. He has a stump hand, a cat butthole hand that's not going to be able to swim very well. He has all that armor on. He's going to have to have someone help him with that. Blackwater Bay, or sorry, Blackwater Bay. Um, is it just Blackwater? Blackwater River? Uh, Blackwater Rush. Rush. So Blackwater Rush has a really strong current. So it's possible that when they get pushed in there, that they're going to be kind of pulled away. So even if they do surface, maybe Danny's not going to be able to see them. You know, I think the other thing, too, is we have these armies that are decimating. It's not like they're, oh, we're just taking out these weapons and, and these people and we're we're going to take this. She's literally decimating everything there. She was burning the grain like that grain could be used for her armies, but she's not even going to save that. She's going to say, fuck everyone else. Dothraki are cutting throats left and right. They're not leaving a single person standing. So I think for me, Bronn. 
I think he has more skin in the game than just the money. Now, I think money is definitely involved with it, and that's where he got in here, and that's why he's definitely got um, a... There's definitely a portion of his motivation is that he wants to have the title, he wants to have the land, he wants to have the money, and he knows that's going to come through the crown. But I think at the same time, he has a personal motivation because, look, these people are coming in, they're foreign invaders as far as he's concerned, they're burning everything to a crisp, they have no regard for anything else. Dothraki are coming in, slipping people's throats left and right. As far as he knows, the Dothraki just run around raping and pillaging everything. And so in his mind, this is what's going to be going on everywhere else. And that's the only thing in my mind that could motivate him to jump in front of Dragonfire and save Jamie. If it was just for money, he wouldn't have done it. If it was just him trying to, you know, oh, I'm going to do this and then I'm going to kind of waste my way out, he wouldn't have done it that way. I don't know. It has to be either out of personal respect for Jamie or the motivation to get a land and title from the queen. I respectfully disagree. Okay. Um, you know, one thing that happened too here is when he shoots that, um, the scorpion, we all know how the, the, basically the queen loves her poisons. I totally thought that was going to be poison arrow. I was not, not, uh, expecting it just to be up. It's just in his arm and he's fine. That would have been really smart. We might see it on this next one. It hasn't even come out yet, but. Um, I do think, you know, when we saw the scorpion, when we first saw it as a prototype down in the dungeon um, at the keep, and we saw it just obliterate that skull, I think, you know, that was so dramatic. But I think in hindsight, there's a couple of different things that we have to think about. A, those dragons are generally not going to be that close. They can breathe a, a stream of fire from like, what, 80 feet in the air and roast everything around it. Yeah, if Drogon would have been smarter, he would have just melted that arrow. Yeah. So we have that. B, you know, that thing takes fucking forever to reload. And that thing actually reloaded pretty fast for a weapon of that type. But it's still, you know, when that dragon's coming around, going to roast you and you miss. Oh, shit. And then three, you know, we didn't really see this before, but Drogon has a like breastplate of armor where basically arrows just right off of it. And the only reason that other arrow kind of went in is it got right in between like his um, his armpit. So I definitely think that this is going to be much harder than they thought it was. For sure. I don't think the scorpion is a, you know, end all be all like we thought. What did you say? I said if that would have gotten a wing, he would have been seriously more damaged, I think. Yeah. I mean, I can see that for sure. But I think it's probably harder to um, hit a moving wing, you know, than Mm -hmm. it is. It's like a hummingbird. Not really a hummingbird, but you know what I mean? Like, yeah. Almost, almost exactly like a hummingbird. <laughs> <laughs> no, but you know what I mean? Like, the their body is what's stationary. It's not moving around, so it's probably a little bit easier to do. Um, or if, you know, like, you're flapping your wings and something comes, it's probably going to get pushed down more than it's going to go through something. Well, too, Braun had all of the smoke from the fires totally. that were blocking his vision. and. But he's probably going to always have smoke when there's a dragon involved. Yeah, I mean. for sure. But I'm just saying that's going to be a hard part for anybody. Moving target, and you have all the adrenaline, people shitting and roasting next to you, and uh, seriously, you gotta aim at a dragon. Um, so yeah, and then we end. So we basically end on Jamie sinking down to the bottom of the abyss of Blackwater Rush. So overall thoughts. Um, I know this was kind of we had a kind of 
an argument there. It's like our first argument on the podcast, but um, I think I understand where you're coming from. Don't worry, folks. I still love Corey. I hate you, bitch. And we only we will only podcast if we completely agree about everything. <laughs> so that's never going to be a problem, right? Um, you know, other than that, though, I think we both agreed that this episode was fantastic. Um, I can only hope that it gets better from here because... I don't know what I'm going to, I'm going to have to quit my job. Like <laughs> I won't be able to go. I'll just watch this episode and repeat. Definitely a favorite of mine. And I think Corey's too. Um, you know, I think dragons are going to be a huge piece here. Um, we're probably gonna have to save. I mean, I don't know how they're going to, if they have dragons every episode like that, they're just going to blow through their, I mean, what are they going to start charging $79 for HBO a month? Like, I'd pay for it. I mean, I would too, but still. <laughs> so I really didn't feel like we had a theme about everything. I don't know if you felt the same. Um, I guess the theme would be uh, our heroes coming back into uh, a place where they can start having the upper hand again. You know, we have Bran back in Winterfell and now Arya and Sansa. They have Cat's Paw. We have Arya has become the master of um, battle that she's always wanted to be. She's kind of mastered the sword and Sirio and all that. Um, Sansa's become Lady of Winterfell. We have Bran who uh, has made it known to everyone that he is no longer Bran, but he is the Three-Eyed Raven. We have Jon in the south at Dragonstone being respected as King of the North. Danny making it known that she plans on being king of or queen of all the land. <laughs> I know that's a technical term. So I think one of the overall themes with this episode is kind of the flipping of power um, and kind of what happens with these underdogs and people that are in power and um, when they, they switch. So if we look at it, um, if, I'm going to start with Circe. So Circe um, and Jamie, we had them in uh, episode before and before that. We basically saw that um, House Lannister was in a kind of a real shithole. They were super in debt to the bank of Bravos. They had no real allies. They didn't have any provisions. And they had basically everyone gunning for them. Um, so in this episode, we see that they've actually decimated House Tyrell. They have that gold. Um, they have now been able to pay off that bank. They're going to be able to hire some um, cell swords to bolster their defenses. Um we have Euron um, fighting on their side, so they've kind of flipped that around. If we go um, and we look over at Winterfell, we have the Starks. Um, now, there hasn't been a house like the Starks um, as far as being an underdog. They were decimated, and that happened all the way back during the Red Wedding, and they've just kind of been trying to keep alive and not um, lose anyone else. Um we almost get the feeling during this episode, we see them all together. It's almost like, how could they not win? We have Arya, who um, basically is amazing at using a sword. Um, she has the you know ability to use faces. And now on top of that, she has Cat's Paw, a Valyrian Steel Dagger. Um, we also have Bran, who um, can basically do... <laughs> we, we're not really sure what he can do, but he can see all. So that has to be something that's good on your side. Um, the only thing that we have going on for them right now that's kind of a worrisome thing is really what's going on with Peter Baelish 
and we saw Peter Baelish was kind of at the top of power um, last season. Um, he came in, you know, Battle of the Bastards. He's walking around Winterfell like he's holier than thou. Um, he's even kind of, you know, oh, Jon Snow, blah, blah, blah. Oh, I'd love to fuck your mother. He felt like he was on top of the world. During this episode, he looks uncomfortable. So I think he is kind of at the bottom of uh, this triangle of power. Um, we also see that we have, um, and then we have finally Danny. So Danny, beginning this episode, you could not have shot on someone anymore. Um, she basically had all of her fleet burned. She's stuck on this island. She, as far as she knows, is going to starve to death because they don't have any provisions. Um, and she's basically having to reach out to Jon Snow in order to make an ally. And in the beginning of that, she didn't really want to do it. Now, later on, we see that she actually does want to. Um, I think she kind of gets a little bit more of an understanding. But to begin with, I don't think she wanted to make any concessions. And at the end of this, she's on top of the world. She's basically destroyed all the grain that was going to be going to Cersei's army. She's destroyed the Lannister army as far as we have in this area of Blackwater. Um... You know, the only thing that's going on is we have the dragon that uh, is injured. But other than that, we, we know that she can ride into battle and she can strike fear into the, the hearts of others. So overall, I think that's the theme that's going on here is kind of just the transition of power from people and how easily it is from, um, you know, being on top of the world to being decimated. Um, because this is the Game of Thrones. Okay, so that's it for this week's episode of Game of Thrones. Catch us next week. Make sure you enter our giveaway by going and subscribing on iTunes and rating us. Take a screenshot of your rating and send it to us at tobeperfectlyhonestpodcast.com. That will enter you to win two Game of Thrones action dolls. Um, We have Jon Snow and the Night's King up for grabs this time. That's it for this week's episode. I'm Anel. I'm Corey. And as always, be perfectly honest.